Hello, hello, hello. This is Point of View with Shirley Polk. It is Friday, June 19th in the year 2020. And this is what we celebrate, which originated in Texas. Every year, Juneteenth, we call it Juneteenth. And I have found out that it is spread into 46 states here in the United States and it is celebrated uh, because some Texans have moved all over the United States and also other states, whether they're Texans, uh, initiated by Texans or not, they are celebrating the 19th of June, Juneteenth, which belongs to Texas. Okay, it originated here, the celebration did. I was listening to some uh, slave interviews and the slaves, their original voices were in these tapes that were found. And I heard one lady say that when they came to Galveston, which was two years later, Galveston, Texas, and I will go over that in the history. And uh, she said that they came, said the master, I call him Massa, he got on the balcony and announced to them that they were free and he gave them a big dinner and then just told them they were free to do and go as they pleased. They were no more slaves. And she said they didn't know where to go. They didn't have anywhere to go. They didn't know what to do. Said he just turned them out like cattle. So we know some of the history about some of them. They stayed on the plantations because they had nowhere to go. Some were satisfied with staying there. So there are different things, but Juneteenth. And also, I am so excited because in my research, I learned about some African Seminole Indian um, people who escaped into Mexico and they're called the Mescagos. So I'm going to talk about them too. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. This is Juneteenth. This is Point of View with Shirley Polk. You can reach me at 469-629-9543 and my email address msspdavis at hotmail.com So we're going into the history of Juneteenth and this is on the website juneteenth.com So we in Texas know because we've been celebrating during our lifetimes we know what we eat we know 
how we celebrate and everything. So, hey, I, t- today I saw people on television telling us this is what they eat and this is what they eat. And no, 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 no. But anyway, you do your thing. And if you want to add that, that's fine and dandy. It's okay. But we in Texas know how to celebrate Juneteenth. Okay, we know the the drinks and we used to call it soda pop, red soda pop, the watermelon, the barbecue, the hot dogs, the hamburgers, the whole works. We know what to do. Potato salad, baked beans, and that's just some of them. So we know how to celebrate here in Texas, but we're so glad that 45 other states have joined in with us to celebrate Juneteenth. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So I got this website here. I pulled it up. The history of Juneteenth. It tells us Juneteenth is the oldest nationally celebrated commemoration of the ending of slavery in the United States. Now, dating back to 1865, it was on June the 19th that the Union soldiers, led by Major General Gordon Granger, landed at Galveston, Texas with news that the war had ended and that the enslaved were now free. So note here that this was two and one half years after President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which had become official January 1st, 1863. The Emancipation Proclamation had little impact on the Texans due to the minimal number of Union troops to enforce the new executive order. Now, however, with the surrender of General Lee in April of 1865 and the arrival of General Granger's regiment, the forces were finally strong enough to influence and overcome the resistance. Now, later attempts to explain this two and a half year delay in the receipt of this important news have yielded several versions that have been handed down through the years. Now, often told is a story of a messenger who was murdered on his way to Texas with the news of freedom. Another is that the news was deliberately withheld by the enslavers to maintain the labor force on the plantations. And still another is that federal troops actually waited for the slave owners to reap the benefits of one last cotton harvest before going to Texas to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. Now those are speculations, those are stories that have gone around and who's to say that one of them, two of them, maybe three, maybe all of them might have something to do with it. They might have a little truth to them. Who's to say yay or nay, okay? Now, President uh, certainly for some, President Lincoln's authority over the rebellious states was in question. Whatever the reasons, conditions in Texas remained status quo well beyond 
what was statutory. Now here's the general order number three. One of General Granger's first orders of business was to read to the people of Texas General Order Number 3, which began most significantly with, The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the Executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves and the connection heretofore existing between them becomes that between employer and hired laborer. All right, that is the general order number three. Now, the, reaction, the reactions to this profound news ranged from pure shock to immediate jubilation. Now, while many lingered to learn of this new employer to employee relationship, many left before these off offers were completely off the lips of their former masters attesting to the varying conditions on the plantations and the realization of freedom. Now even with nowhere to go, many felt that leaving the plantation would be their first grasp of freedom. North was a logical destination and for many it represented true freedom while the desire to reach family members in neighboring states drove some into Louisiana, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. So settling into these new areas as free men and women brought on new realities and the challenges of establishing our heretofore non-existent status for black people in America. Recounting the memories of that great day in June of 1865 and its festivities would serve as motivation as well as release from the growing pressures encountered in their new territories. The celebration of June 19th was coined Juneteenth and grew with more participation from descendants. Now, the Juneteenth celebration was a time for reassuring each other, for praying, and for gathering remaining family members. Juneteenth continued to be highly revered in Texas decades later, with many former slaves and descendants making an annual pilgrimage back to Galveston on this date. Our next section here is Juneteenth festivities and food. And I did talk uh, earlier about what we have, uh, we're used to here in Texas, just a few of the dishes and uh, that we have here in Juneteenth. And so anyway, Juneteenth festivities and food, a range of activities were provided to entertain the masses, many of which continue to continue in tradition today. Rodeos, fishing, barbecuing, and baseball are just a few of the typical Juneteenth activities you may witness today. 
Juneteenth almost always focused on education and self-improvement. Thus, often guest speakers are brought in and the elders are called upon to recount the events of the past. Prayer services were also a major part of these celebrations. Certain foods became popular and subsequently synonymous with Juneteenth celebrations such as strawberry soda pop. Okie dokie, we like our strawberry soda pop. We like big red, some of us do, okay, but there are many others that we like now also. But the strawberry is a good drink and that big red's a good drink too, okay? Now, all right, more traditional and just as popular was the barbecuing through which Juneteenth participants could share in the spirit and aromas that their ancestors, the newly emancipated African Americans, would have experienced during their ceremonies. Hence, the barbecue pit is often established as the center of attention at Juneteenth celebrations. You better know it. All right. All right. So today, you know, I didn't have the traditional, today I didn't have the traditional Juneteenth meal, but that's all right. I still, I'm still a Texan, okay, and I'm celebrating because I am so thankful to God. We are resilient people. We are resilient. We're survivors. We've taught the world how to survive. Yes, we have. Okay, now let me get back. This is Point of View with Shirley Polk, okay? Food was abundant because everyone prepared a special dish. Meats such as lamb, pork, and beef, which were not available every day, were brought on this special occasion. A true Juneteenth celebrations left visitors well satisfied and with enough conversation to last until the next. Okay, a true Juneteenth celebration, there's a typo here, okay. Left visitors, there's a is put on there and I don't think that is, it's supposed to be there, but you know how technical I am. All right, so a true Juneteenth celebration left visitors well satisfied and with enough conversations to last until the next. Dress was also an important element in early Juneteenth customs and is often still taken seriously, particularly by the direct descendants who can make the connection to the tradition's roots. During slavery, there were laws on the books in many areas that prohibited or limited the dressing of the enslaved. During the initial days of the emancipation celebrations, there are accounts of former slaves tossing their ragged garments into the creeks and rivers and adorning themselves with clothing taken from the plantations belonging to their former masters. All right, now we go to Juneteenth and society. Society, okay? Now, I have some pictures that I inherited from a 
uh, there was a house that I lived in and the pictures of the prominent families that well-dressed, and you can tell they were prominent families of African descent. Okay, so Juneteenth and society. So I, I saw the dress, the way they were dressed. I mean, they were handsome and what is it? Uh, beautiful. So what they call it? Vogue. And uh, what's that other with the gentleman? Anyway, I can't think of it right now. There's so much going through my mind. Okay. Juneteenth and society. In the early years, little interest existed outside the African-American community and participation in the celebrations. And that's a fact. But I remember at home in Denison, oh, we would go to the sunset. We call it the beach. And we would be, all our people were celebrating all over the place. People would come from different cities and places. We would have that beach crowded with our people, celebrating Juneteenth, the 19th of June. Those were some days, some days, some days, okay? So in some cases, there was outwardly exhibited resistance by barring the use of public property for the festivities. And we can, we know that, don't we? Yes, we do. So most of the festivities found themselves out in rural areas around rivers and creeks that could provide for additional activities such as fishing, horseback riding, and barbecues. Often church grounds were the site for such activities. Eventually, as African Americans became landowners, land was donated and dedicated for these festivities. One of the earliest documented land purchases in the name of Juneteenth was organized by Reverend Jack Yates. This fundraising effort yielded $1,000 and made possible the purchase of Emancipation Park in Houston, Texas. In Mahia, the local Juneteenth organization purchased Booker T. Washington Park, which had become the Juneteenth celebration site in 1898. There are accounts of Juneteenth activities being interrupted and halted by white landowners demanding that their laborers return to work. However, it seems most allowed their workers the day off and some even made donations of food and money. So for decades, these annual celebrations flourished growing continuously with each passing year. In Booker T. Washington Park, as many as 20,000 African Americans once attended during the course of a week, making the celebration one of the state's largest. Now we go to the section Juneteenth celebrations decline. Okay. Economic, or some say economic, and cultural forces led to a decline in Juneteenth activities and participants 
beginning in the early 1900s. Classroom and textbook education in lieu of traditional home and family taught practices stifled the interest of the youth due to less emphasis and detail on the lives of former slaves. Classroom textbooks proclaimed Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation of January 1st, 1863 as the date signaling the ending of slavery and mentioned little or nothing of the impact of General Granger's arrival on June 19th. The depression forced many people off the farms and into the cities to find work. In these urban environments, environments, employers were less eager to grant leaves to, to celebrate this date. Thus, unless June 19th fell on a weekend or a holiday, there were very few participants available. July 4th was already the established independence holiday and a and a rise in patriotism steered more toward the celebration. Now we go to the resurgence. The civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s yielded both positive and negative results for the Juneteenth celebrations. While it pulled many of the African-American youth away and into the struggle for racial equality, many linked these struggles to the historical struggles of their ancestors. Now, this was evidenced by student demonstrators involved in the Atlanta Civil Rights Campaign in the early 1960s who wore Juneteenth freedom buttons. Now, again in 1968, Juneteenth received another strong resurgence through the Poor People's March in Washington, D.C. Reverend, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, and we remember him, okay? He uh, marched with uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., okay? Reverend Ralph Abernathy's call for people of all races, creeds, economic levels and professions to come to Washington to show support for the poor. Many of these attendees returned home and initiated Juneteenth celebrations in areas previously absent of such activities. Now, in fact, two of the latest, or excuse me, please. In fact, two of the largest Juneteenth celebrations founded after this march are now held in Milwaukee and Minneapolis. See there? That's, that's not even Texas right there. All right? Now we go to the next section. Texas blazes the trail because it's a holiday. Okay? On January 1st, 1980, that's 1980. Juneteenth became an official state holiday through the efforts of Al Edwards, an African-American state legislator. Now, the successful passage of this bill marked Juneteenth as the first emancipation celebration granted official state recognition. 
Edwards has since actively sought to spread the observance of Juneteenth all across America. This is some great information. Juneteenth in modern times. Today, Juneteenth is enjoying a phenomenal growth rate within communities and organizations throughout the country. Institutions such as the Smithsonian, the Henry Ford Museum, and others have begun sponsoring Juneteenth-centered activities. In recent years, a number of local and national Juneteenth organizations have arisen to take their place alongside other organizations, all with the mission to promote and cultivate knowledge and appreciation of African American history and culture. Juneteenth today celebrates African American freedom and achievement while encouraging continuous self-development and respect for all cultures. So as it takes on a more national, symbolic, and even global perspective, the events of 1865 in Texas are not forgotten, for all of the roots tied back to this fertile soil from which a national day of pride is growing. The future of Juneteenth looks bright as the number of cities and states creating Juneteenth communities continues to increase. Respect and appreciation for all of our differences grow out of exposure and working together. Getting involved in supporting Juneteenth celebrations creates new bonds of friendship and understanding among us. This indeed brightens our future, and that is the spirit of Juneteenth. How about that? That's good, isn't it? The history of Juneteenth.com. So all you have to do is just type in Juneteenth.com, and this is a copyrighted uh, piece right here. All right, it's, it's copyrighted. Now, as I opened up and started looking for uh, a good article to present today about Juneteenth, guess what? I came up on a group of people called Los Mascagos. Los Mascagos. And let me tell you, I've got to tell you this, I am so, so excited about this. So, I'm going to go to the one that I want to present to you. I think I will do, well, there's a doggy downstairs, outside. I am going to go to Afro-Mexicans, history of the Mescogos, Mescogos, okay? And I'm pulling it up so it will come up. And this is so 
exciting to me. Oh, I love research. I love studying and finding out things that I didn't know about. I know some people already know, but I did not know, and some of you don't know, so we're going to all find out about this together, okay? Here's a brief history of American slaves who fled to Mexico. So describing uh, this site is Charo Azteca in C-H-A-R-R-O-A-Z-T-E-C-A dot com. All right. So describing Mexican heritage can be complicated. Most of the discourse concentrated around Mexican descent focuses on the blend of indigenous blood with that of the European conquistadors. So Afro-Latino narratives are typically concentrated in the Caribbean. Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans, etc. However, it is important to note the influence of African descendants still present today in Mexico. The indigenous groups Kickapoos and the Mascagos both share a history north of the border. Both groups were descendants of escaped African slaves who intermarried in Spanish Florida before it was annexed in the early 1800s. So there too, there are the Kickapoos and the Mascagos. How about that? See, I'm learning two new things today. How about that? So however, due to the length of linguistic history, only the Kickapoos are classified as an indigenous tribe in Mexico, affording them at least partial protection and financial assistance. The newer tribe, the Mascagos, are preserving what is left of their culture all on their own. But yet they do exist, all right? We want to keep that in mind. So because of the Afro-Indian mixed heritage, Black Seminole natives were considered indigenous under U.S. law and avoided the Negro label. However, they were unable to escape the Negro treatment, Negro, okay, in in which Seminole natives were kidnapped and sold into slavery with little intervention from the system in place charged with protecting them. And I'm working on something also that has to do with the Native Americans of which I am a part of, especially, and also uh, Anglo. We're all mixed up, everybody, okay? So I don't leave anybody out. So, and here's one thing that I'm going to go here because of the situations and things that are going today. And you don't hear me talking about certain things because there are enough people talking about them. I can pray about it, ask God to help me to uh, be as I'm supposed to be, and God can hear my prayer. And if he tells me to do or say something, then I will. But hey, the people are doing their thing. But I see 
uh, the people and on Facebook and different places they post. I have, uh, you know, about this life matters, okay? My thing is, I have a son, I have a daughter, I have a granddaughter, I have a grandson, I have sisters, I have brothers, I have nieces, I have nephews, I have cousins, I have uncles, I have aunts all over the place. All of them matter to me. They're not all uh, pure African-American, which none of us are pure. Some are mulatto, some say mulatto, mulatto, I'm saying that. Some are uh, like like the people I'm talking about today, the Mascagos, I have those in the family. So, all, everybody matters to me. I have all of these people and I care about them all, okay? And I'm not saying because you say, I have this. I'm not saying that you don't care about other people, so I don't want anybody to get mixed up and tangled up and get it all twisted up. I am not saying that. But my family as a whole, they all matter, all right? They all matter to me, so, and I love them. I love my son, I love my daughter, I love my grandchildren. I love all of my family. So for me, hey, they all matter to me. Let me reiterate, I'm not saying that because you don't say that they all matter, that you mean that they don't all matter. That is not what I'm saying. So I think we have that clear. Okay, now we're going back talking about the Mescagos. Juan Cabello, a war leader of the Seminole tribe, led his people south of the border into Mexico where they were met with an economically damaged Mexico that was still recovering from the U.S. invasion of the 1840s. Now, in return for military service and the securing of the northern border, Mexico granted land to the Seminoles, now called Mascagos. The Mascago tribe settled in Cohula, uh, Huila, let's see, Cohula, I guess. I should get that pronunciation. Let me see. I'm going to take time and do this because I want it to be said right. And if I can't say it right, then the pronunciation here will. Okie dokie. So here we go. Here we Yeah, let me find it and then we can all hear it together. Pronunciation. Many of you know how to pronounce it, but I don't be playing around with these words. Okay, here we go. Coila. You hear her? Coila. Coila. Okay, that's what she said. All right, now let me get back. Let me get back. So, the Mascago tribe settled 
in Coahuila, where some tribe members live and practice their customs today. Many Mescagos were lured back to the north after slavery ended and were assimilated into Mexican-American or Afro-American communities, others chose to stay. For those who chose to stay, the fight to preserve their culture lives on 160 years after their arrival in Mexico. So hey, it's all over the world, isn't it? The fight is active all over the world for in for equality. There's inequality in some people's eyes all over the world, okay? The world. Now, though the tribe has diminished throughout the years, the Mexican government has granted the Mascago tribe formal recognition as a Mexican ethnicity. How about that? So after all, what is more Mexican than defiance and resistance in the face of adversity? And so this is by Sugar, Eggs, and Spice. So I think I'm doing that right. So it's S-U-G-A-R-X-N-D-S-P-I-C-E dot com. All right. So that's the Mascagos. All right, that is so interesting, isn't it? Oh, we learned some stuff today. Okay, this is Point of View with Shirley Polk. This is the 19th of June, Juneteenth, in the year 2020. It is a blessing to be able to come to you. I thank God for you, and I pray that all is well with you. If it's not, I pray that it will be with you, but I want you to remember that in spite of all else, And it is a fact because I know God is yet in control. And always remember that being dreary, where it might look like you're in a deep place that you'll never get out of, remember, remember, and say it over and over and over in your mind, God is in control. The true and living God is in control. I love you. Enjoy the remainder of your day, night, evening, morning, whatever it is. Take care in the name of Jesus.